OT. Here we are, episode 23. That's episode three of season two. It's exciting to be here, you know, on, on episode three, because that rock and roll music just gets me going. I just love it. Brilliant. It is, it is pretty brilliant. I do love it as well. And um, as we've said before, I think I think it suits us. Um, so we might stick with that one for a while. Yeah, a couple of old rockers. Although, you know, I think we've sort of given the impression that that's all we like. But we have quite eclectic tastes, don't we? We like a lot of mm. different sounding music. And, you know, I'm, I certainly like my old dancey stuff from from the 90s as much as I like uh, my, my heavy thumping stuff. But, hey, I, I just want to remind people about Redbubble first of all, and say that, you know, our, our brand is out there. People are buying T-shirts and mugs and that kind of thing, and it's really cool. So feel free to, to keep buying that. No, we, we get a very small percentage of what you buy, so it's more about you than about us, but we take that 20% and we put it back into the podcast, which leads us on to our second little announcement. Yes, and um, you would have seen this on the Facebook page. We put something up around Patreon, and Patreon is – something that enables you to become a patron of the podcast and contribute to it. Now, as we did say in the post, this is something that we wrestled with a little bit because we didn't want to make it feel like an offering, even though it does feel and look a bit like an offering, but it's to contribute towards some of the running costs, the production costs, all those things that are associated with the podcast that we didn't anticipate. Super helpful in being able to get the word out there, get some advertising, help us with the hardware, the software, all that stuff that goes into making the podcast. So I want to just thank everybody who's contributed, everyone who's signed up. Every little bit counts and helps out and helps us particularly run our advertising campaigns. So thank you. Yeah, and we'll be praying for those who have contributed. We'll be praying over them for a tenfold return. Only ten. What, what is a hundredfold? Is that let's go hundred? Yeah, yeah. Ask for I mean, the hundredfold. Ask for that. the hundredfold. Yeah. Go go straight to the top. This tenfold rubbish. Who are you? Yeah, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Where does that come from? Um, the other thing is the Facebook group. So please remember that's still going. If you want to come along and interact with other people or even interact with us, you're welcome to jump into the Facebook group. That's close to two hundred people. We want to keep building that up just just for the sake of community. Yeah. Yeah, and it's been awesome. We we have seen examples of that and people really jumping in and offering help and saying, hey, send me a private message, more than happy to chat through stuff and help you work through stuff. It's been awesome, that building of community. Don't forget also on your favourite podcast platforms to rate and review us. That just pushes us, up, pushes us up the list, I guess, for when people do searches and for when it just pops into people's feeds or whatever. So it just helps, I guess, to get it out there and works alongside our advertising campaigns. So even if you just leave a few stars rather than writing anything in, everything helps. But just spend two minutes on that would be hugely appreciated. Yeah, cool. So today's topic, narcissists and psychopaths. I mm. think if there's one thing that my experience of Pentecostalism shows, Bibles, music, and narcissists and psychopaths. These were yeah. the, the the three things, three or four things, that were most commonly found in my experience of Pentecostalism. And I dare say there was even a little bit of that rubbed off on me at times. But I, I, I think this is a really important topic that we need to sort of unpack because I think a lot of people, in, especially in the Facebook group, have sort of used the word narcissist when talking about their experience in Pentecostalism. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and I think um, I 100% was guilty of it rubbing off on me too. I mean, that self-importance and the elitism was something that I think drove that narcissistic nature of some people within the fold, for sure. Yeah, I think a lot of people, when they leave Pentecostalism, that's one of the first things that really stands out to them. I think we all know it's there when we're in there, but we kind of push it aside or we kind of excuse it. But then when you leave and you've not got that sort of emotional investment anymore or, or even a financial investment, God help you, but you you walk away and you go, actually, they were fucking crazy ass people that were telling me how to live my life and telling me what to do and I was looking up to. It's, there's no doubt that it's rampant. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I've certainly worked in organisations, particularly large companies that definitely have those psychopaths and sociopaths at the helm that you you get that, but you shouldn't see that within a church. Uh, You shouldn't see it within any organisation, but particularly within the church. But frighteningly, it is rampant, as you said. Yeah. So we've got a couple of articles and we'll put those in the show notes. One is an article from uh, the Mayo Clinic and another is an article from Psychology Today. And these are good little descriptors around narcissistic personality disorder and also around um, psychopathology. So we're going to make those available to you, but we're going to use those as our launching point, I guess, for, for, for the conversation. So what I thought we'd do, B, is we'll go first through this this first article on narcissism from the Mayo Clinic. And I'm just going to quickly read through all the different descriptor points because there's actually quite a few that are in there in terms of symptoms. So the first one is narcissists have an exaggerated sense of self-importance. They have a sense of entitlement and require constant excessive admiration. Already I want to stop and talk about these. They expect to be recognized as superior even without achievements that warrant it. They exaggerate achievements and talents. They're preoccupied with fantasies about success, power, brilliance, beauty, or the perfect mate. They are believe they are superior and can only associate with equally special people. They monopolize conversations and belittle or look down on people they perceive as inferior. They expect special favors and unquestioning compliance with their expectations, take advantage of others to get what they want, have an inability or unwillingness to recognize the needs and feelings of others, envious of others and believe others envy them behave in an arrogant or haughty manner, coming across as conceited, boastful and pretentious, and insist on having the best of everything. For instance, the best car or the best office. And it said, at the same time, people with narcissistic personality disorder have trouble handling anything they perceive as criticism. And then it goes on with another list, but we can come back to that in a minute. Now, again, I'm reading that and just going, dude, that's like the whole freaking movement. I personally don't know anyone like that. <laughs> yeah, look. You're just everything. trying to dominate the conversation. I'm going to watch you now. If I talk over the top of you, I'm going to go, sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's, um, it's interesting, isn't it? It ticks so many of those boxes. Some of those key leaders that were driving our lives, essentially, really, they embodied just about everything there, didn't they? I know it's crazy, and and the thing about this is this is narcissistic personality disorder that we've just mm. used that we've described there. That's not just narcissistic traits or you know someone that's starting. But no, this is a full-on personality disorder that needs to be treated. Let's start with the first one: have an exaggerated sense of self-importance. 
Well, the fact that quite often they build a stage for them to uh, stand on <laughs> starts yeah. with there. Yeah, and and the and the thrones. Yes, absolutely. Um, the self-importance was very much, and even the stuff you heard about servanthood. You've got to make sure that you serve your leaders, all those sort of things. Not not the leaders serving the congregation. No, you've got to serve your leaders. When I was the youth pastor of Country Town AOG, the pastor who I served with, one day we were talking and he said, these people would die for me. You know that, right? They'd die for me. And then there was this sort of silence because he knew that my response wasn't what he was hoping for. And I just looked at him and in my mind was, I can't believe you just said that because actually... The Christian message is you're supposed to die for them, motherfucker. Yeah. Right? Like, you know, you you lay down your life. You know, greater love has no man, or that, you know, the the shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep. Duh. But no, no joke, just unequivocally, these people would die for me. And he was really happy to to believe that. It's good, isn't it? It's good that there was just no self importance there at all. Yeah. A sense of entitlement and require constant excessive admiration. Yeah, I think that sort of feeds into the first really as well, doesn't it? I mean, that constant admiration, people really wanted it and it fed into their self-importance and it was a beast which kept feeding itself, didn't it? Mm, Yeah, exactly right. All right, we'll go to the next one then. Expect to be recognised as superior even without achievements that warrant it. Mm. Yeah, that's right. I mean, some of the things that people would do um, and expect to be the superior um, and talked about the achievements, well, what did those achievements often mean in the real world probably Mm. not a great deal yeah that's right another one i remember there was a joke that went around once about um pastor l and it was like you know the old joke which is you know what do you call someone that hangs around with musicians a drummer Uh, you know what do you call someone with no talent that hangs around with musicians a drummer that's the old joke but someone actually said what do you call someone that hangs around talking about youth alive someone that hangs around with musicians that has no talent and someone went pastor l and we all laughed because (laughs) Because this person, they couldn't sing, they couldn't play an instrument. They would just, because of their office, they had the microphone and they would stand up at the front of these these events and basically run the show. You know, it wasn't necessarily about being the most talented person, right? I don't know what a lot of these people did either. They'd speak, they'd maybe lead songs. Yeah, but they were very important. They were very important. And so <laughs> were we. So just were we. So were we. <laughs> Yeah, but do you remember? Do you remember there was one one guy in particular when we were doing a lot of that street team stuff who would sort of come along when the cameras were there, right? So if a if a television station was doing something, all of a sudden this person would turn up and and pretend that they're out there every week, um, mm. or or if someone was writing a newspaper article, they were there to be interviewed. But actually, in the day to day working with the street kids, they weren't there. They had nothing to do with it. No, that's right. They were too busy hobnobbing with all the uh, the sponsors and all the the pastors. They are superior and can only associate with equally special people. They didn't want to hang around with the street kids. They didn't want to no. hang around with us. Well, you know, that might hinder us really serving their vision, mightn't it? Being their servant. I mean, one of the things about a psychopath that we'll have a look at later is that they actually will claim the merit of others. Um, as their own, right, or the achievements of others as their own. And I can remember there was one guy in particular who was involved with the street team and stuff that we were doing who was very humble and was really doing all the work. And they were often overlooked because you had the the whole, you know, 
past the brigade with their 90s suits and paisley ties. And for a while there, there were Bugs Bunny ties. I don't know if you remember that. They were oh, wearing I do good remember it. I had yeah, one. That was, that was a big deal. Yeah, so did I, actually. I think I had a Daffy Duck, but still. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same shit, different bucket. Yeah, but they will exaggerate their achievements and talents. Yep. Preoccupied with fantasies about success, power, brilliance, beauty, or the perfect mate. Yeah, well, you know, exaggerate achievements. How many people got saved tonight? 37. In fact, there was four. You know, I mean, that sort of stuff happened all the time. But the the irony of that is they don't save people. Like, you know, even the theology said it was an act of God. It was that Jesus was saving them, but they would still count. You're right. They would count them. And even if they over-exaggerated, nevertheless, it was still about how many did you get. And and look, can we, can we flip that over? I can remember when I was doing sermons and doing evangelistic outreaches i wouldn't get the numbers that some of these people would get yeah and i i really wore that it was like what am i doing wrong Mm. the message is right i'm speaking well you know why am i not bringing 30 people up why am i only getting one or two you know was it was very very much about the numbers I, i i recall similar things having um spoken at different different events and different rallies and 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 places and the more people that came forward the more you felt valued there was no doubt about that i mean you're right it's not about you but it is all about you when you're in that that space i think the narcissist expects and this is a really good one expects special favors and unquestioning compliance with their expectations Mm. It's their vision. comes back to that too, doesn't it? I mean, I don't know how many times you heard that, but I would hear, even even within Bible college, you know, that if a leader has a vision, then your job is to help them deliver that vision. Don't question it. You would serve their vision was the actual language that they would use. So they'd say you have to serve someone else's vision for a time. Yep. So, yeah, 100%. But, but I'm thinking about the special favours. Like all the things that people will do for the pastors, people yeah. will do this, you know, and, and oftentimes I think from a narcissistic perspective, it becomes an expectation. And oftentimes these guys are, are on decent salaries, right? Yeah. I know at Great Big AOG, at the, at the church we went to, it was basically on a teacher's pay scale, right? A teacher's yeah. salary scale is what they did. So, you know, X amount of years would be, the, as a pastor, you'd be paid the same as X amount of years as a teacher. And in Australia... Teachers are paid quite well compared to, to the US and places like that. So these guys are actually on some decent money. And as we've talked before, they had nice cars and they had nice McMansions out in the suburbs. But people would still feel obliged to give them gifts and to, you know, watch their children for free or mow their lawns or whatever. Yeah, it's true. I, I remember quite often when you'd watch the pastors speak at, at different events or groups, they'd always get some sort of gift or there'd be a love offering, which was above all the other offerings, to give them a bit of a cash bonus for it. And it happened all the time. So yeah, there's some good perks in it, that's for sure. And it was expected, mm-hmm. even though you, you could uh, you could bet that if you asked them, they'd say it wasn't expected, but it was 100% expected. Otherwise, they would have said, hey, you know what? No, I won't take it. Mm, yeah. Here's a, here's a good one. They have an, an inability or unwillingness to recognise the needs and feelings of others, or in other words, they lack empathy. What do you reckon about that one? Yes, I, I, that's very evident. Um, it, a lot of their responses was quite often repent. It, there wasn't 
a an effort, I guess, to walk beside you when you're in trouble. There was a judgment, wasn't there? There was a real judgment if you brought something to somebody in leadership rather than empathising with you and going, oh, shit, this must be a real tough time. You were judged because empathy was really lacking. Yeah, well, I, I think back to the story that you told in the Mission and Evangelism one where the pastor took that money back from you, right? So if you don't know that episode, please go back and listen to our mission and evangelism. And B told a story about a pastor said that God felt to give him this money. And then when B went home early, the pastor took the money back and basically left you skint with nothing in a, in a, in a foreign country, in a foreign, gosh, a fo- you know, foreign language, the whole bit, and with mm-hmm. hardly any money. So there was absolutely zero empathy in oh. that moment. Absolutely zero. And, you know, not not to mention they're backflipping on the fact that they, one minute God told them, the next minute they were taking it back. So it was certainly an interesting time. And, you know, whether this is associated or not, I mean, the Prime Minister of Australia, which we've spoken about many times now, is a stark, raving, mad Pentecostal. And he has had to have empathy training because he it was quite evident that he lacked empathy significantly lacked empathy and has had to have empathy training is it a coincidence i don't know well let's let's put a pin in that question because we can come back to that in a minute let's look next at psychopaths right because i think we can talk about narcissists and say yes definitely there's narcissists but the the next stage is the psychopaths and the psychopaths are definitely much much worse than than that so the first symptom of a psychopath is pathological lying and manipulation. Did you see any of that? Yes, absolutely. And a lot of it upon reflection, though, because I think I, I bought into it so much that I don't think I would have ever questioned and thought that it was lying or manipulation. It's only upon reflection that you look back and go, oh, my God, that was incredibly manipulative. And quite often it smelled of bullshit, but you couldn't smell it because there was just too much cover-up of that bullshit. How about you? Yeah, well, you weren't allowed to smell it either because otherwise you were, you know, going against God's chosen person. But no, there was definitely a time where my my girlfriend at the time and I, we knew that this pastor was lying to us. And this is when we're actually on the way out. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not that we intentionally set a trap, but he separated us and talked to me first and then went and spoke to her. And I don't know what he was thinking that we weren't going to come back and compare stories, right? But he told me, A, which is what he thought I wanted to hear. And then he told her B, which was totally contradictory. I'm not saying that was, you know, subtle nuances to the same story, complete lies. One of them or both of those stories were an absolute lie. And we came back together and and I said, so did he lie? Yeah, because she already knew what he told me. Um, We we talked about that and she went in and he told her. and, And I just, I wondered at the time, doesn't he know? Doesn't he know that we're, and that's where it speaks to this pathological lying yeah, and manipulation. That, that is truly frightening. Yeah, for sure. Um, lack of morality and rule breaking. In other words, the rules, they apply to you, but the rules don't apply to me. Well, yeah. Well, how many times have we seen that, you know, when the, the televangelists and such hit the, hit the news or high profile ministers in Australia and other countries where they're up there and they're preaching about morality and they're talking about the expectations of you if you're to become a Christian, then they're outed as having affairs or having a drug habit or having whatever. There is Mm. most certainly that, I mean, that is rife. 
Mm. What blows me away is how many of them get caught with hookers and like multiple hookers. Yeah. Right? It's like they're not they're not just you know they're not just drunk and falling or or you know have even having you know falling in love with someone having this ongoing affair. Like it's hardcore hookers and porn and all that kind of stuff. And you hear that in the US, but you also hear it in Australia too. Yeah, I think so. I think that they think they can sort of lurk around in the shadows and not get caught. That's what's behind it, and they probably justify it, going, "Well, I'm not hurting anyone else because I'm just having sex with someone who does it for a job." You know, I think there's there's ways that people justify it. Definitely. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, number three is a lack of empathy and cold heartedness. We've sort of done that one. We covered that under narcissism, but yeah. the next one is actually narcissism and false superiority complex. So there's an overlap here, right? That we can see that both narcissists and psychopaths can have some of the same traits. But the one that I thought was really interesting was the gaslighting and psychological bullying, right? And so it says, when someone constantly puts you down, leaves you feeling like you can't do anything right, makes you feel worthless and bad about yourself in general, it's emotional abuse. Do you remember I told the story actually, when I said, when I wanted to join the other youth group and and that pastor came to me and said, nah, you don't understand. Oh, yeah. right? and, and, and basically undermined my own ability to make my own decisions. And I think that's definitely something that happened both in the Revival Centre and also in the AOG was this constant undermining of my individuality and my ability to reason and make choices for myself. I was constantly doubting my ability because they knew the Bible better or they had more of God or more of the Holy Spirit or however we we, we spelled it out. But But basically they were up there and I was down here. So that happened to me a lot. And then, and then there's the uh, the ultimate Christian gaslighting, which is uh, delivering a word for somebody and uh, completely undermining their sense of self by going, hey, you may think you know, but I actually know because God told me and this is what he's told me and you get the word. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, it is that subtle brainwashing, that subtle control or not so subtle in many t occasions, but it's certainly something that's ongoing and it happens a lot. It comes back again, you know, I mean, I think we had this question in our Q&A, do you think it's malicious that people use these control mechanisms? Yeah, some people do. Some people maybe just do it because it's learnt behaviour. But uh, I think a lot of the time <clears throat> with those in higher leadership, maybe I think by the time you get there, if you don't know by then what you're doing, then it's a real worry. Mm. Well, the next point that it brings up is there's a lack of contrition and self-serving victimhood. In other words, when they do get busted or or when someone is pointed out to them, they don't think they've done anything wrong. And and I think that's really telling right across the whole Pentecostal scene because it's very rare, unless someone is actually caught in the act, it's very, very rare that people will actually apologize or it, it and it's oftentimes the people that leave or the people that start to walk away that it will actually approach people and apologize i mean i told you that i wrote letters to people and i know i'm not the only one that's walked away from this and gone back to people and said i'm really sorry yeah and look that shows a lot of character there's no doubt about that i mean i i know many people that have, have walked away and have been manipulative and have been full-time pastors and certainly have not revisited that or ever accepted fault for anything that they may have done that certainly fits this profile. Mm, very much. So I've got a question for you then, B. Are psychopaths and narcissists attracted to the church or are they made in the church? 
Yeah, that's interesting. I was actually, before this episode, that was something I was reflecting on and going, I don't know. I'm not, I think the environment of the church definitely fosters it. And particularly within the mega church setting, I do think it fosters it. And I think people, if people have narcissistic or sociopathic or psychopathic traits and they come into that space quite often because they are more confident, because they are a little bit more charismatic quite often, they're noticed a lot more. And as we know, they're often selected for leadership. So I think if you've got those traits, rather than actually knocking those traits off you, they build them up and they actually make them something that uh, is seen in a more positive light within the church rather than uh, seeing it for what it really is. It's, it, I think it's a product of the dysfunctional environment. What do you think? Mm. I think that there are definite psychopaths and definite narcissists, you know, that personality disorders, that they exist in the church. What they do is they take charge. They take control. And I think sort of weaker personalities, and I don't mean weak as in people are weak, I mean less intense, less controlling sort of personalities will defer to these people. So they naturally rise to the surface, okay? Mm -hmm. But then I think what happens is that becomes the norm, right? Because the, the people that are in control, the people that are in charge, the people that are setting the culture of the organization, and this is true not just in church, right? But we'll come back to that in a minute. Mm -hmm. But they set the culture and they set the tone. And then that becomes what we start to aspire to. And it also becomes behaviors that we say are okay, that we're taught are okay. And we start to accept it. We start to think this is just the norm. So I think it's both. I really do. I think that some people are born psychopaths or some people, you know, very early in their lives at least become psychopaths or become narcissists. And then within the church, that's fostered, that is fed. But I think there's other people that come into the church and whilst they're in there, they start to go, okay, I'm going to serve God. I want to do the right thing by God. And they learn to play the game. Yeah. And so I think some people do genuinely become full, full, you know, full-blown narcissists, full-blown psychopaths. I think that genuinely happens that they weren't before they joined the church. But I also think that there are those people that that set that and then you know it's that old thing you know now take away the number you first started with and the answer is psychopath meaning mm -hmm. that now the system now is what it is and this is what it creates in people and we know that that's not just true of church right so you know we hear that scott morrison gets called a narcissist like all, all our leaders get called narcissists and psychopaths and stuff all the time within politics because i think politics also attracts this kind of person right because it's about the power it's about the control it's about the status i mean you know you're having lunch with the president of this country and having dinner with the you know the chancellor of that country it's it attracts those kinds of people but i saw it working in the workplace right and you can buy books about the workplace psychopath right this Absolutely. is not something yeah that, that just happens in in church now I feel like I'm dominating the conversation and maybe I should stop. No, no, keep going. I'm just taking some case notes as we speak for, yeah, good a, one, for good my one. therapist. But but I think the difference with church, mate, and, and here's the big difference is when I go and get a job, I'm getting a salary. Mm. I'm taking the good with the bad. And if someone's being a psychopath, that's okay. I go home, you know, I cut them off or I get a new job or whatever. When you give your life to Christ and you commit your life 
to following Jesus, etc., and you commit yourself into this system, it's not so easy to escape. And I think it's much easier to be entwined into that whole environment because you've got the ultimate authority, which is God. And these these people, these men, and sometimes these women, they have taken these these staffs, they've taken this authority, and they start to control you. And you've made a commitment to that very authority. You've made a commitment to that to that God. That's why I think it's so much more rife and so much more impacting because, you know, I can walk away from, and, and I have, I've had an employment situation where I had a psychopath as a boss and it was very painful. Don't get me wrong. It was extremely destructive and a lot of people had, you know, were very, very damaged by this person. But ultimately you walk away and you go, well, that was that. Whereas when you leave church or when you've been manipulated in what we what they call spiritual abuse, which ultimately is just another, you know, tagline for psychological abuse. Yeah. You have made yourself so much more vulnerable. And I think that's why it's so much more impacting and so much more destructive. Oh, 100 percent. And and I think it's harder to leave a church where you have a very usually your life revolves around it. And I mean, you whether, you know, if you're fully involved, you're in home groups, you're in different groups, you're going to the church, your friendship groups are there quite often, very difficult to leave. Um, so you can get caught up in it. Whereas I have recently too left a job that I think it was very sociopathic in the, in the leadership in it. And it was one of the reasons that drove me to, to leave it and go into my new job. But very difficult to do that when it's a church, isn't it? Very, very difficult because there's so many other pools there. Yeah, and you're also enmeshed. It's not just like one part of your life, which is work. It's oftentimes it's your family, it's your friends. And if you're in ministry, it is also your job. You know, it's extended family. It's just so much more than just, just your work life. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm sure that this is something that has driven a lot of people away from the church when they see that and see the effects of it. There's, I'm sure in a, on the Facebook group, we do see that and we see people talking about it. And I'm sure that this episode will definitely spur more of this conversation again and probably bring stuff up for people that really got to them while they were part of the fold. Yeah, for sure. There's certain names that come up and, you know, f- apologies to our international members who look at this and go, who, who the hell are you talking about? But there's certain names that come up that as soon as that name is mentioned, there's like a buzz that happens yep. and all of a sudden all these people in in our group are triggered. And, it you know, it doesn't matter whether you're from New South Wales and then one of the New South Welsh names of a pastor comes up, bang, and everybody's starting to go off or it's a Victorian name and everyone starts to buzz and you see different parts of the country People are triggered in different ways by, or sorry, the same way by by these, you know, similar characters. But they they seem to be tied to different parts of the country because that's where they were. Um, but yeah. a lot of people are really damaged by a lot of those names. And we're not going to name them, but um, you know who you are. <laughs> you do. And if you know who you are, you're probably not listening to us. But, well, the uh, other thing is if you know who you are, you probably don't think that you're a, a narcissist or a psychopath because that's not what narcissists and psychopaths do. No, this is true. And in the end, we know who you are and we are wary of you. So, yeah, it's frightening. It's all about control a lot of the time, isn't it? It's control and influence manipulation and fucking you over. Exactly. So I've got a question for you, B. Can you you give us a time where you felt you did something like this that you can look back on and... This is this is my psychopath narcissist test for you, right? But (laughs) were there times where you can look back and say, actually, yeah, I did this? 
Yeah, look, look I, I think um, I think I've spoken about it in one episode where I delivered a word to somebody because I felt I had to deliver a word to them, and I felt a real power speaking into their life, even though I knew that what I was saying was so generalist, but uh, it could be applied to to anybody. But I did feel a real incredible self-importance with that. But I think also the times where I spoke at larger events, I felt incredibly bolstered by the fact that I knew that people were looking at me going, well, I thought people were looking at me going, he's pretty important up there. He's the one. He, he's the he's, one. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. He's he's speaking this and he's speaking that. And gee, he must be important. How about you? Tell me about your narcissist moments. Yeah, well, there was a lot of them. I, I think coming from the Revival Centre where it was the, the the hero pastor and then coming into Great Big AOG where it was again the hero pastor, I think I was quite happy to go along with that at times. You know, when I was the youth pastor of Country Town AOG, I had a chat with my youth leadership team um, who were just, you know, a bunch of dudes from the country. And I don't say just as in bad. I just mean they were just people. I told them how to dress. I said, oh, guys, you need to start to dress like this on Sunday mornings. You need to start to wear this and you need to start. Yeah. And I, I told them because that was the expectation. I was told how I needed to dress and yeah. I just quite happily pass that on so I told them how to dress and and there were certain expectations that I put on them um you know so there was a lot of control and I I can definitely say that was something that I had to do a lot of soul searching and a lot of turning away from and within myself because I was quick to grab onto that control you know when my son came to me he was invited to go to a Pentecostal church by someone at school yeah. And he came back to me and he said, Dad, I've been invited to this church. Can I go? And I was just like, no fucking way. <laughs> you know, I'm not letting you anywhere near, near these sons of bitches. Not dressed I'll like come that. With you. Yeah, not dressed like that. Put your tie on. <laughs> Where's your daffy duck tie? I would happily go along with him and sit there and yeah. then just be in his goddamn ear the whole time going, see the way he did that? See the way he did that? What do you think about that? What did, you know, 100% I would. But no, there's no way I was going to let him go along by himself because I am convinced that it's mostly a toxic environment and it's mostly not good for people you know so I was happy happy to do that you know we always look for the positives right so yeah. I'm going to ask you B because I, I don't know that I can come back from where I am right now and bring the positives <laughs> but what's fucking positive about this oh look for me um not much but I think what you can well you can look in any situation is you know the signs now. You know the things to look out for. You have been immersed in a culture which breeds this and not only breeds it but values it so strongly. So I think you can see it. I, I think for me, what I just said about having to leave my job reasonably recently, not having to leave, I chose to leave, was because I recognised the toxic environment when I saw it. I recognised something that only valued things that were definitely negatively impacting my workplace and certainly my own well-being and the well-being of those around me i don't know if i would recognize that if i hadn't had exposure to such unhealthy places before and look i've been part of creating those unhealthy cultures in being in leadership in great big aog as well so i think you know the ability to self-reflect on that and identify it is incredibly valuable it does bring up shit when i see it sometimes but i think all in all that's probably the only positive i could pull from oh actually no 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 i reckon i can pull another one that the, the 
reality of being thrown up in that self-importance of being for public speaking and and preaching and all that sort of thing helped me hone my public speaking and the ability to communicate I've had to use it for the powers of good now rather than powers of manipulation, of course. But I think it it helped me hone that skill and it helped me identify some of my strengths and some of those areas that probably need improvement. You don't reckon you can find any positives? Probably not, no. But um, thinking about (laughs) what we said in another episode about, you know, A to B is not a straight line. And yep. we are who we are. You know, we all we we look back and we think, oh, I wish I'd had it better. But the reality is, if you had it better, you wouldn't be who you are today. You know, and, and like you said, we've we've definitely learned. But I do have to sort of stop a moment and just remember that a lot of people that have come out of this environment are suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. Coming out of abusive relationships is very much like coming out of a physically abusive relationship or or an emotionally abusive relationship. I'm talking a romantic relationship or a parent-child relationship because there is this uneven order of power and, and control. And so I think that's something that I have actually become aware of. And I do want to suggest that if you're listening to this and this has triggered you a lot, that it's probably really wise to investigate counseling and understanding those power dynamics and understanding what it took to to walk away and that you are very strong and that you are the victor in your ability to walk away and um and that's what I do for myself as well so I guess that is a positive that I, I actually look at that now and say like you I can see the bullshit but also I was resilient and I mm. I bounced back from this that yeah. I can you know I can listen to my Christian music and not trigger Right, that shows that I that I that I have bounced back, but I but I won't pretend at the same time that it wasn't really really hard. Maybe we need to think about another episode down the track of how to get past this because we've certainly opened the Pandora's box of this is the this is the damage that was done or this is how the damage was done. Maybe we yeah. need to think about an episode where we talk about how to bounce back, how to overcome. So I think that's something we should plan for. Yeah, I think we do that and, and talk to someone who specialises also in. Um, in responding to people who do have PTSD through these sort of environments. And I, I definitely identify post-traumatic stuff in my life that I, I didn't have the skills to deal with at the time, but I certainly fumbled my way through it. The great thing about living in Australia, we have fantastic health care. Go to your GP, get a mental health plan, get six sessions that are heavily subsidised to go see a psychologist. And then because of COVID, you can go and get a boost and get another four sessions for added on to your plan not for everyone but those who do enjoy uh, talking therapies and different ways to be able to work through it i encourage you to do that access that help where you can yeah and also i want to invite people in our facebook group that if you have found a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a counselor of some sort that is skilled in this in specifically leaving fundamentalism please pop that that those person's name and contact number or links to their web page or whatever into the group so that those in your area can know because it's sometimes really hard to find someone that understands if you go to them and say oh you know i left church yeah. they're like oh did you oh so why are you here you know so yeah. we, we need we need specialists yeah definitely it's uh it's a niche there's no doubt but chuck them in chuck them in the group so b next week we're going to talk about healing and miracles cue music Yeah, cue the music and we'll see you all next week on the I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist podcast.